we come, that we would, the Lord would show us Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, the joy of gathering around your table just now. Lord, we thank you for the body and blood of the Lord Jesus, broken and shed for us. Lord, would you now, through your word, show us Christ, draw us to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do um, open up uh, your Bibles, if you've got one with you, back to um, Acts chapter 8 that Glenn um, read for us earlier. And in our passage uh, for tonight, we focus in on two people. And the thing that these people have in common is that for each of them, their lives are all about Jesus. Or in the case of one of them, their life will eventually all become about Jesus, as we're going to see. Of course, the book of Acts, as we've been going through it, and as we've said several times, really is a book about the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his Spirit through his apostles. This book as a whole just continues to be all about Jesus, doesn't it? So that's our main message, our main passage, what it's driving towards tonight isn't really a surprise. But I hope and pray that as we see the good news of Jesus again this evening, presented to us in God's word, we'll be strengthened. And our joy will be stirred. Because it's often, even as Christians, doesn't it, we're often distracted in so many different ways. And yet, where do we need to come? Back to Jesus. And so often our joy can just be dampened by the things that happen to us, by the things in the world. And yet we know that in Jesus there is joy to be found. So that is my hope and prayer as we, as we look at this passage this evening, that that will be the case. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see, as I said, these two people these two people that Luke presents to us. First, we're going to see uh, the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in him, we're going to see someone who we can follow in putting our trust in Jesus. And then after that, we're going to see the example of Philip. Philip, the evangelist, the one who spoke about Jesus to this Ethiopian. And I think we're going to see in here several lessons and principles that are going to help us, hopefully, and encourage us to go on telling others about Jesus as well. So let's get into the passage for this evening. And as we see that it's going to be all about Jesus, first off, let's see that it's all about trusting in Jesus, like the Ethiopian does here. As we, as we think about the Ethiopian, we don't know a lot about him, really. If you look with me at the passage there, we don't, we're not told about him anywhere else in the Bible either. If you look with me at verse 27, we're given a few details. First, as we just said, he's from Ethiopia, which is a a region today within modern-day Sudan. Then also, we see that he was a eunuch, which meant that he had been castrated, which is a common practice, seemingly, at this time in this region, particularly for those who worked in a place like a palace, which is what we read next, don't we, about him. He was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. 
And it seems his particular role was something of a treasurer, if you look there, a treasurer or protector, a guard of all of her treasure. And this, I think, is significant as we look at this passage, because what we see here is an important man, an important official in the world's eyes. Even here, we see that he makes what is really would have been a very expensive journey, doesn't he? He makes this journey, and he makes it in a chariot. And then we even read of him leaving Jerusalem, and what's he got in his hands? An expensive, rare scroll containing the prophecy of Isaiah. As we look at this Ethiopian, he is not a nobody in the world's eyes. and He obviously has quite a lot going for him in the position he's come to have. Now, we'll come back to that in just a minute, because we also then read one other fascinating little detail about him. At the end of verse 27, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now this, along with that purchase and and reading of Isaiah, likely points to a man, either who was Jewish by birth, perhaps a a son or a grandson or a great-grandson of somebody who, who had been dispersed in the dispersion, ended up in Ethiopia at some point. Or it could be that this points to him having converted to Judaism at some point. Maybe that's the more likely. But whatever the case, We find here, from this conversation with Philip, that although he is reading Isaiah's prophecy, it's leaving him confused. We don't don't know. He's come to Jerusalem, hasn't he? We don't know what his experience was like there as he came to worship. But, But from what we know of the time, it's unlikely that it was that positive. He came searching, didn't he? But do you see, he he leaves searching. He leaves searching, wanting more. He's diving in to God's word. He leaves with God's word. And here he is, wanting more. We see this, don't we, in the two questions that he asks Philip. Here is a man looking to understand more about God and his word. He's confused. Verse 31, if you look with me, he says to Philip, how can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? followed by his invitation then to Philip to come and, come and sit with him. And then he asks that question in verse 34. Having read that section from Isaiah 53, 7 to 8, he says, about whom does the prophet say this? And Philip's answer in verse 35 is then the beating heart of this passage. This man wants to know more. He wants to understand. He wants to see what God's word is all about. And Philip tells him. He says, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at verse 35. These are incredible words. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip understands, doesn't he, because of Jesus' own teaching, because of the Spirit's revealing of this, that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And of course, he recognizes that this particular section that the Ethiopian is reading, well, that is about as clear a prophecy about Jesus as they come. And so that's what the Philip tells the Ethiopian. He says, listen, that he 
that's mentioned there time and time again. You're asking who it is. Well, that is Jesus. Verse 32, look with me, we could rewrite this or, or, or add in clarity. Verse 32, like a sheep, Jesus was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer, shearer is silent, so Jesus opens not his mouth. In Jesus' humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe Jesus' generation for Jesus' life? is taken away from the earth. So he's pointing again and again to Jesus. But having just read that particular section together, notice again what it is that Philip is said to have told the Ethiopian about in verse 35. We read that he tells him the good news about Jesus. Now I know that many of us in here, have possibly been Christians for quite a long time. So this probably doesn't jump out at us, but there seems to be something really of a discord here. It just doesn't match up between the mood and the darkness of that passage of Isaiah 53 that we've just read, and Philip then talking about good news. And I think this discord, this this not matching up, is a healthy thing for us to stop and take notice of again this evening whether we're Christians here or not. Because the reality is that Jesus is good news. As Philip speaks about him, but the good news of Jesus comes at a cost. Sometimes we miss this. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we just prefer maybe not to think about this. But this is so clear in what we're reading here in this little section of Acts. Jesus paid a huge cost so that today we can speak of him as good news. Verse 32, what do we see? We see Jesus pictured like a sacrificial lamb led to the slaughter. And we see his obedience pictured there, don't we? As he goes to this death silently, not kicking and screaming, not screaming and crying injustice, Of course, that is what his death was, though. The ultimate injustice, as verse 33 points us to. In his death, and all the mocking and jeering surrounding it, as well as we read in the Gospels, Jesus suffered extreme humiliation. And to make it all so much worse, it was completely undeserved. Verse 33, justice was denied him. Never before had a completely innocent man walked on this, on this earth. Yet here, Jesus was. But he was being treated as if he was the worst of sinners. As verse 33 implies, what kind of generation, what kind of people would do this kind of thing? Would take an innocent man's life away? As we see this, This truly is the darkest moment in human history presented to us in Isaiah 53. And we would do well to pause and take that in again. The extent of what Christ went through on the cross. Of course, we remembered that just a moment ago, didn't we, as we gathered around the Lord's table, as we remembered the broken body of Christ and the blood that he shed. But of course, this, in this darkness, 
there really is good news. Good news for all of us here this evening. And this must have been where Philip then went as he spoke about Jesus with this Ethiopian. Because Jesus' death, it wasn't pointless. It wasn't in vain. His body wasn't broken for nothing. His blood wasn't shed for nothing. No, listen to how Jesus himself describes his death. And again, we heard this just a moment ago around the Lord's table. In Luke 22, Jesus said these words to the disciples, talking about his death. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And then just a little bit later, he said this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Both the times, in these glorious two words, that changes everything, doesn't it? It gives purpose and reason for Jesus' death. It's why it's good news. It's because it's for you. Philip, you can imagine, Philip to the Ethiopian, it was Jesus who suffered like this that Isaiah was talking about. And do you know why? It was for you. And the same message comes to every single one of us this evening. Whether we've heard it a thousand times before, or this is just the first time, if you come to Jesus, put your trust and faith in him, you can claim those same two words for yourself as well. For you. Jesus, the innocent lamb, shed his blood for you. He went through this suffering, this humiliation for you. It would have been incredible, wouldn't it, if you think about it, to, to have been there, a fly on the wall, as it were, or wherever, whatever a chariot has, uh, just to hear this conversation as Philip, as Philip carries on sharing the good news of Jesus. We aren't told where he goes next. As he begins, he probably goes on to other Old Testament passages and then on to maybe the apostles' teaching, Jesus' own teaching. We aren't sure. Even if we just limit it to Isaiah, which is what they have in front of them, though. Just a few chapters later from, from Isaiah 56, well, Philip could have spoken directly to this eunuch in the situation that he was in. Of how even he, someone who before most likely wouldn't have been welcome in the inner parts of the temple, because of Christ, how he, this eunuch, could have an everlasting name that could never be cut off. That's the hope of Christ. And maybe Philip spoke to the Ethiopian then from Isaiah 61, of being clothed by God through the Lord Jesus Christ with garments of salvation, of being covered with the robe of righteousness. Maybe then Isaiah 62, the next chapter, Philip told the Ethiopian of how he too could be one of God's holy people called the redeemed of the Lord. And maybe he turned to the final chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, and he took this Ethiopian and he showed him the comfort, comfort found in God through Jesus. For you, Philip likely would have been saying, Jesus came to do all of these things. He came to do all of these things for you. As I said, we don't know exactly where Philip did go to, but we can be sure of this. He spoke about Jesus and the good news found in him 
He spoke of this Ethiopian's need for forgiveness, to be made right with God. And of all of the accompanying blessings and joys that Steve was speaking about earlier that come along with that in those wells of salvation. And as we said, the beauty of this gospel, this good news about Jesus, is that it is all on offer to us this evening. Because if you, if we here this evening will put our trust in Jesus, put our faith in him, we too can know the peace, know the joy of our sins being forgiven. You too this evening, if you will come to Jesus, can have an everlasting name that will never be cut off. You too, if you come to Jesus this evening, can be covered with the robe of righteousness. You, too, if you come to Jesus this evening, can be one of the redeemed of the Lord. You, too, if you come to Jesus this evening, can know comfort, can know true comfort that only ever Jesus will bring. All of these blessings can be yours this evening. And they are yours if you will come to the Lord Jesus. Because as we've been saying from the start, it is all about him. That is where the Christian faith begins. And ultimately, that is where the Christian faith ends. Putting our trust in Jesus. And looking nowhere else. So I have to ask this evening, have you done that? Have you put your faith in Jesus? I mean, really, truly come to him. And trusted in him. Asked for forgiveness. Forgiveness that was offered and paid for on that cruel, unjust cross. Have you made Jesus the one who, as we said last week, your life is all about now? If you haven't done that, let me encourage you, take that step of faith this evening. Look to Jesus. Give him your whole life. If you will do that, your life is in the safest hands possible. In this passage, we hear about Philip telling the Ethiopian good news about Jesus. But let me also just say this. This isn't the kind of good news that then, well, we look on our news feed the next morning and has been trumped by something else. No, this news about Jesus, it was the best news. It is the best news. And it will always be the best news we will ever hear. We will find no better news ever. Just look at the Ethiopian's response. He sees this, doesn't he? Verse 36, after hearing this good news about Jesus, and presumably hearing from Philip something like Peter's call in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Well, the eunuch hears that and he spots some water, doesn't he? Presumably, having now put his trust in Jesus, having repented, he asks this question. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, we could get hung up on that question if we want to this evening. This man has only just heard and professed Jesus. Particularly today, if we're talking about baptism, often we would then love to, to, to see a sustained faith, the beginnings of the fruit of faith, before we talk about baptism. 
And I think there is probably wisdom in that. But there is something powerful in Luke's recording of this event here, as we see the early days of the gospel going out. And once again, it points us to the main point of what we're saying. It is all about Jesus and nothing else. Just as we've been thinking about in the mornings in Galatians, we can begin, can't we, to add all kinds of things to the gospel. But look how simple it really is here in our passage. I think this is what Luke is driving at here. What has this Ethiopian been told about? The good news of Jesus. Not good news of Jesus, plus whatever bolt-on you want to add on, as we were talking about this morning. No, just the good news of Jesus. That's where he stops. And presumably, that is what, Jesus, that is what this Ethiopian responds to. As the Spirit moves in his heart, he responds and he comes to Jesus. Verse 37 there that some of you may have in a footnote, uh, if you spotted that to your Bible, that seems to be a later addition added in, not the original, but it confirms this. This man has confessed Christ, and that is all that is required. So verse 38, he and Philip go down into the water, and Philip baptizes him. And just look how it leaves him. Even with Philip now carried away in whatever way that is, we're not told, moving on elsewhere at the Lord's leading, he comes up, doesn't he, this Ethiopian, out of the water, and then we read, he goes on his way rejoicing. Do you recognize that kind of language if you've been with us in the book of Acts over the last few weeks? Does it remind you of verse 8? Wasn't that where we left it there? We heard of joy didn't we, in the city of Samaria? And here we see that again, don't we? A man rejoicing because he is trusted in Jesus. And in Jesus, he realizes that he has all that he could ever need or want. Do you remember, this was an important man, wasn't it? We said he was an influential man. He had wealth. But before, we still saw him searching, wondering, didn't we? confused, but not anymore. Now he has found what he was looking for. He has found Jesus, and he goes on his way with joy in his heart. We've spent a while here this evening, but I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that, because this is the truth. This is the good news about Jesus that we all need to hear again and again and again. So quickly we forget the extent of what Jesus went through to make us right with our God. And that means that we begin to lose our thankfulness. So quickly we forget that in Jesus we have good news. We have life-transforming news. We have the best news. And we begin instead to act as if, well, Jesus is kind of more like old news. We begin, don't we, in that way, to lose our joy. So quickly we forget that it, it is in putting our trust in Jesus alone and nothing else that we do, nothing else that we think or say that we find forgiveness, that we find salvation. And that means that we can begin, even as Christians, to lose our security, our peace. We can lose that rest that Jesus holds out to all who will come to him whether it is for the first time or for the thousandth time, come to Jesus this evening and know that by putting your trust in him, you have all 
that you ever need or want. And pray then that like this Ethiopian eunuch, you can know again the joy of your salvation, the joy found in Jesus, as you remember all the many blessings that you can enjoy because of him, knowing that he also now, by the Spirit, is with you and will be with you as you go into tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that then leads us on to the second thing that I want us to see in this passage, that if all of this is true, if we really do have news about Jesus that we can rejoice in for us today, then it is also then all about telling people about Jesus and all that we've found in him. To, to illustrate this, I'm going to have to mention the rugby. I was trying to avoid it, but it's gonna have, we're going to have to go there. The glorious, right? Irish triumph. Not only that yesterday they won the Six Nations, but that in beating England yesterday, they also completed the Grand Slam. Played five, won five. And haven't I heard about it? This morning, this evening, everywhere I turn, say, hey, Simon, what about the rugby? I know part of that is maybe because I'm English, a bit of light-hearted banter in there. But it's also because this is a big deal. It's left a lot of people here in the church, a lot of people right across our island of Ireland, celebrating. It's left a lot of people, we could say, rejoicing. So what do they want to do? They want to talk about it, don't they? They want to tell other people. Something has given them joy, and they want to share it, even at the cost of others in this case. Sure, it is different in that way. It is different in that way. But can we see here that if we are really rejoicing in Jesus this evening, like this Ethiopian, it is hard to imagine that we, just like Irish rugby fans today, don't want to share that joy with those around us. We want to hold out that joy to others who haven't found that joy yet for themselves. We don't read what the Ethiopian goes on to do, other than that he goes on his way rejoicing, but it's hard to imagine, isn't it, that God is not going to use this man and his joy to take the good news of Jesus back to Ethiopia, back to the courts of Candace, and even beyond that, isn't it? The gospel is beginning here, its journey through this man out to the ends of the earth. But in the time remaining, I want us now also to switch our attention away from the Ethiopian to Philip. To Philip, because we see, just like we saw in the person of Stephen a few weeks ago, another model for us to look to in our evangelism as we look to share this joy about Jesus with others. After all, in Acts 21, later on, we see Philip named Philip the Evangelist. Interestingly, he is the, the only named evangelist in the Bible. So we'd imagine we might have something to learn from him then. And this evening, I want us to see in Philip's example three encouragements, three encouragements to press on in telling people about Jesus. First off, we can learn from Philip's, Philip's example of pressing on in telling people about Jesus no matter what, where that takes you. 
I don't know if you spotted this, but at the beginning of her passage, we see the Lord guiding Philip through the angel, don't we, to where he would have him go and speak. And what's striking about what we see here is Philip being led by the Lord to leave what seems to be this thriving ministry that he has in Samaria and the surrounding area. And he's told to go to a deserted area. Look, Luke makes that point, doesn't he? He makes it very clear. Verse 26, this is a desert place. Now, from a strategic point of view, this has got to be a mistake, hasn't it? To go from speaking with thousands every single day to suddenly wandering through a desert, simply scanning the horizon maybe for one lone passerby. It doesn't make sense, does it? But Philip has been told by the Lord to go, and so go he does. And of course, his obedience is rewarded, isn't it? As we've just been thinking about, even if it might not be numerically at this point. This Ethiopian who he comes across, well, he leads him to Christ. And as we've said, it's hard not to imagine the continuing spread of the gospel in Ethiopia as a result of this. Just think, because of Philip's obedience, even to leaving this thriving ministry to go to this deserted place, it could have been that a whole new continent heard about Jesus long before they might have done otherwise. And all of this is to say this, where God has us at the moment or where he has called you to or or will call you to, that might not always, in our eyes, make the most sense. We can think, surely, if I just worked in a company with a few more Christians around, well, then together we could share the gospel. We could think, surely God made a mistake putting those neighbors next to me. Do you know what they're like? Surely my gifts, well, they would be better used in sharing the gospel if it wasn't just me and this one other person that I bump up against every day. I'm only ever sharing the gospel with him or her. But just remember this. God, if God has put you in that situation, there is purpose. And there is no higher purpose than what we see here, to go and share Jesus and the joy found in him, wherever that is. And there could even be some here this evening who are beginning to sense God's call to serve him somewhere else. Even somewhere far away from home. Even sensing that call when right now you you still feel there is valuable ministry or work where I am. If that's you, let me just encourage you. Look at Philip's example and know that if it is that God will have you up and move as part of a call, he will have a plan for that. Even a plan that could have you only lead one person to Jesus in a lifetime of work, but God is above that. And God could even use that person, like we see here, to maybe then influence generation upon generation to turn to the Lord. We can trust God. His ways are not our ways. We see that clearly in this passage but we can trust him. So let me just encourage all of us this evening. Let us press on in telling people about Jesus, no matter where that has taken us, where we are at the moment, or where that will take us in the future, because we know that God is above that all. Here's the second thing then, I think, that we see in Philip's example, a challenge to press on in telling people about Jesus, no matter who that's with. I only want to mention this 
briefly. But what we've seen this evening is just, again, another confirmation that this gospel is for all. No matter a background, no matter the heritage, no matter learning or culture. Back in verses 5 to 8, we heard of Samaritans coming to Jesus. And now this evening, we've seen possibly, we don't know, the first African coming to Jesus. And that is because Jesus came for all. No matter how we've grown up, no matter whether we've grown up a Catholic, a Protestant, a Muslim, a Hindu, no matter whether we've been to uni or we dropped out of school at 12 with no qualifications at all, no matter our skin color, no matter our language, Jesus came for all. Even as we were out on the streets on Friday afternoon, I was struck by the diversity of the people that we saw out there. It was fascinating. Incredible the range of people who were in our city. And yet, do you know what every single one of those people needed more than anything else? It was Jesus. It was Jesus because it is all about Jesus. I wonder if there's anyone that you know who even maybe unknowingly, unwittingly, you've, you've begun to write off. Write off as someone, well... It wouldn't even be worth sharing the gospel with them. They're just maybe a bit too different to you. Well, if that's the case, look at Philip here. Completely different to this Ethiopian in so many ways. And yet, what does he do? He leads him to Jesus. He points him to the joy found in him. Or maybe you feel that person just wouldn't be interested. Is it really up to you to decide that? Sure, some may not be interested. But wherever you can, tell whoever you can about Jesus. That's what we've been called to. And we can then trust the results of that to our God, that he will work in the hearts of those for whom he's called. Thirdly then, in Philip's example, I think we see an encouragement to press on in telling people about Jesus, no matter what form that takes, no matter what that looks like. Back at the beginning of chapter 8, we saw Philip preaching to crowds and crowds of people. And so if you have that opportunity to speak even to multiple people about Jesus at one time, maybe to a group of kids at a youth group, maybe at work, maybe with neighbors or colleagues, take an opportunity. If you can speak to lots of people about Jesus at once, be bold, pray for God's help and go for it. God can use those kinds of moments. But this evening, we've also seen another side of telling people about Jesus, a much more personal side. I don't know if anywhere in the Bible we see a better example of one man sitting down beside another man and talking to them about Jesus. The account in many ways is similar, isn't it, to the Emmaus Road. If you remember in Luke 24... We read there of Jesus just with these two other disciples personally walking down the road and Jesus interprets to them all the things concerning himself in scripture. Well here, Philip is doing the same thing. He's coming alongside someone. He's sitting with them. He's hearing their questions. He's seeing where they're at and he is patiently and persevering in pointing them to Jesus. 
Of course, it's unlikely that even for Philip, the evangelist, all conversations would necessarily have this kind of outcome, this immediate profession of faith. But I'm sure as Philip eventually settles in Caesarea, which is where he ultimately ends up there in verse 40, I'm sure he will have had many more conversations like this, sitting with people, talking to them of Jesus. What's our equivalent of this then today, of the chariot, of the conversation? In terms of conversation, I think it probably starts like Philip, by listening to people, listening to where people are at, listening to their questions. That's what Philip is doing here. Now, likely many of them aren't sitting necessarily with the Bible open and asking questions. Some may be. Take that opportunity if you can. But even for those who aren't, if you get genuinely listening to people, you will find they do have questions. They do have questions. And in listening to those questions, think about how you can patiently point them to Jesus as you explore those questions a bit more together. And then in terms of the chariot, where could these kind of conversations happen? Well, anywhere. On a walk, in a coffee shop, over dinner, after a game of tennis, whatever it is. Find a friend. Find what your friend is doing. Find what they enjoy. Whatever they're into, engage with them. Come alongside them. Show them that you actually care about them. Show them that you aren't just looking to win them over with some kind of intellectual argument, but actually show them that you have a genuine, deep joy that you found in Jesus that you want to share with them because you care about them. Just imagine, I don't know, maybe we're 60, 70, 80 of us here this evening. Just imagine if every single one of us began this evening praying just for one person. One person, and we looked then for opportunities to do something like this. Just to sit with them. Sit with them. The conversation won't always necessarily always be about Jesus. Sit with people, hear their questions. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all prayed in that way? and then look to faithfully show Jesus the fruit of that in a year, two years, three years. Linked to this, we're going to be starting a three-week course just after Easter exploring Christianity. It's called Hope Explored, and and Paddy's going to be speaking a bit more about that next Sunday morning for us. But that could be a great opportunity to do something like this in an informal setting, just to sit with a friend at church over coffee and tray bakes likely or something like that, and just in a personal way, talk about Jesus. Talk of the good news that we've found in him. I'd encourage you, go away this evening. Pray over the coming weeks. Is there someone, someone who I can pluck up the courage to invite to something like that? Remember, We do this because we have a hope and a joy that we want to share. Because we genuinely care about our neighbors, our colleagues, our friends, our course mates. Of course, as we close, I think it would be a a serious omission if we didn't say one more thing about telling people about Jesus from Philip's example. And that is that in doing that, we have been given a powerful tool. The most powerful tool in the world. We've been given God's word. 
And so we should look to use God's word as we share Jesus. As one kid song puts it, from Genesis to Revelation, one story of a great salvation. It is all about Jesus. That is the Bible. And let me just encourage you, keep picking up your Bible then and reading it. First of all, for yourself. For yourself, see Jesus. Ask the Lord to show Christ to us as we were singing earlier. Jesus is at the heart of it all. Ask him to stir our joy in Christ as we see him in his word. And then look for wherever you can to speak about what you're reading about in God's word with others. Remember, God's word is living and active. It cuts to the heart. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Who is it that we could look look to open the Bible up with? Even just informally at a coffee shop, whatever way that looks. Because again, when we are doing that, we can be confident that in the pages of God's word, we will see beauty and glory of Jesus. We will see Jesus shining out from the page. So as we head on from here into our weeks, as we get ready for whatever they hold, let's have this message ringing in our hearts. It is all about Jesus. It is all about him. Let's keep trusting him this week. Let's keep rejoicing in him this week, giving thanks to him for all that he went through for us. And then let's go out and tell others about him too. Let's share that joy. Share that joy as we go out from here in whatever way, wherever we are, whatever, whatever this week looks like. Let's tell people about Jesus wherever we can. Let's pray for God's help as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage from your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active. Please, Lord, would you continue just to, to stir our hearts as we respond to what we've heard this evening? Lord, would you draw us back to Jesus where we've been distracted and are looking elsewhere? Lord, please bring us back to Christ. Lord, where we've begun to lose our joy, perhaps, in just the day-to-day of life, Lord, please restore to us joy because of Christ even of what we've seen this evening, of what he went through for us, Lord, would we leave here rejoicing? And Lord, we do just ask for your help because we do know that we have good news to share. And yet, Lord, we know that often we're so slow to share it. Lord, please would you encourage us, embolden us as we go out of here this week, just like we'll talk about the rugby this week and the joy there. Lord, help us to be ready to talk about Jesus. And the joy, the long, long-lasting, eternal joy that we find in him. Give us boldness, strength. And Lord, as we were talking about earlier, Lord, would you just even plant in our, in our hearts, our minds, that one person, maybe that you would have us pray for faithfully, day in, day out, over the coming weeks. Lord, please would you bring them to the Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh man, well, we're going to uh, close by singing this song, Let Your Kingdom Come, which, as we said before, just picks up on so much of what we're seeing here in the book of Acts as the gospel continues to go out. And by grace, we preach that gospel. So let's stand as the musicians uh, begin to play and respond.
your glorious cause of God engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us so. Jesus Christ and the love of God